You're listening to Bloomberg Law with June Grasso from Bloomberg Radio. The Supreme Court justices signaled a sharp divide in a Montana case that could make it easier to funnel public money to religious schools and other faith-based organizations. The Montana Supreme Court struck down a taxpayer-funded scholarship program that was used primarily to help send children to religious schools, ruling that it violated the state constitution. In a challenge to that ruling, the justices seemed divided along ideological lines. Here are Justices Elena Kagan and Samuel Alito. Whether you go to a religious school or you go to a secular private school, you're in the same boat at this point. So I've always understood in these kinds of cases that the harm is the perceived or alleged or actual, whatever you want to call it, discrimination. But there is no discrimination at this point going on, is there? There's a difference between saying we're not going to fund religious activities and saying we're going to discriminate based on religion. That's the point. Nobody's claiming the state has an obligation to make particular grants to religious institutions. Joining me is Catherine Frankie, a professor at Columbia Law School. This case involves a 2015 state tax credit program for private education in Montana. Tell us a little bit about it. Give us some of the background. Over half the states have provisions similar to Montana's in their laws or in their constitutions that prohibit the state from funding religious institutions. And what this is, is a challenge to the state's decision that it will no longer grant tuition credits or other funding to parochial schools because they have to comply with their own law that no public funding can go to a religious entity. So tell me what the arguments are pro and con here. Well, what we're seeing argued in this case is a follow-up to an earlier Supreme Court case just of a few years ago that dealt with a state program that prohibited Uh, religious schools from bidding for contracts for supplies for playgrounds, for instance. So a secular school could apply for playground equipment, but a religious school couldn't. And here, the faith-based actors are making an even more radical argument, a more radical interpretation of the First Amendment's protections for religious liberty than we saw in that earlier case. And what they're saying is that any policy or law by a state that prohibits funding of religious institutions amounts to discrimination against those religious institutions and violates the First Amendment's protection for religious liberty. Now, this is a very radical way to think about how the Constitution protects religious liberty because we also have this twin commitment to separation of church and state. And many states have made the decision over a number of years Montana being one of them, that they want to keep a very clear separation between state public money and private religious institutions. And so they've decided that they wouldn't fund private religious institutions. That does not, in the eyes of the framers or in the eyes of the Supreme Court until very recently, amount to discrimination against religious institutions. It merely amounts to a decision that religious institutions should remain in the private sector So Justice Elena Kagan said because there's no program, both the parents seeking tax credits for private religious schools or for secular institutions were in the same boat. Well, these are discretionary programs to begin with. The state doesn't have to provide tax credits for education in the first place. 
So whether you're in a religious school or you're in a private non-religious school, a secular day school, all of them are in the same boat. They have no entitlement to public money or funding. But those who go to a secular school, if there is a program that would grant tuition credits there, and, and again, this all should be seen against the backdrop of private charter schools and the amount of money that's being drained from public schools through funding of private charter schools. So in states where they do fund charter schools, um, there isn't a risk in that context of crossing over that boundary between the separation of church and state. Now, Justice Brett Kavanaugh pointed to anti-Catholic bias that he said proliferated at the time. Does that have any relevance? There are some states that have adopted what were called Blaine Amendments to their constitutions much, much earlier than Montana did. These Blaine Amendments, in some cases, were motivated by anti-Catholic animus, and they're a problem for that reason. But Montana's law is not a Blaine Amendment. There is no evidence that the law was put in place in Montana as an effort to discriminate against any religious group or organization or Catholics in particular. It was a measure that was adopted in the 1970s to create a clear distinction between the church and the state of Montana. And so for Justice Kavanaugh to say, well, because there was some evidence you know, 10, 20, 50 years earlier that states had bias against the Catholic Church or against Catholics, and therefore Montana must have also, is just wrong. There's no evidence of that at all in this case. Justice Stephen Breyer seemed concerned about where a decision making it easier to funnel public money to religious schools would lead. Say in San Francisco or Boston or take any city or state, and they give many, many, many millions of dollars to the public school system. And a lot of them give a lot of money to charter schools. Now, they don't give money in, to Catholic schools. All right? Now, if, if we decide you're right, does that all change? Chief Justice John Roberts suggested the Montana court ruling was like a government decision to close swimming pools because too many African-Americans were using them. Do you see a difference there? Well, that question I thought was actually quite offensive from the chief justice. Now, I know he's had a hard day. Um, He's having a (laughs) tough week because he's got two jobs right now, both of which are very difficult. Um, But the move that's being made by the students who uh, or parents of the students who want to continue to get tax credits to go to religious um, private schools, um, analogizing, saying it's the exact same thing as discriminating on the basis of race is an absolute corruption of how we understand race discrimination protections in the Constitution and how we understand the protection of religious liberty in the Constitution. And it is this kind of argument was made a number of years ago in lower courts, and they were laughed out of court. They were absolutely laughed out of court because the, the, the doctrine that we bring to bear in the race discrimination context is totally different than in the religious liberty context because we have a commitment to the separation of church and state. In the First Amendment, we don't have a similar commitment that the, that the state should not be involved in eradicating race discrimination in the racial equality context. So Justice Roberts' um, uh, uh, question was one that was really a softball pitch to those advocates that are pushing this very radical way of seeing any 
separation of church and state, as in what Montana is trying to do with their law, as a form of discrimination against religion. And it just, that's not how the framers ever intended religious liberty and the separation of church and state to work, nor how the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause should work, the part of the Constitution that, um, uh, that protects uh, racial equality. Justice Samuel Alito seemed to say that this case was the next logical step after that 2017 case involving religious schools and a Missouri program to resurface playgrounds. Does that indicate that the conservatives on the court are moving away from a strict separation of church and state? Well, when the framers wrote the First Amendment and they protected these twin values of religious liberty on the one hand and on the separation of church and state on the other, they had a very delicate balance, a complicated balance in mind in how to manage those two commitments. But the state certainly shouldn't get in the way of private religious parties' religious exercise, but it also can't get so involved in facilitating, helping out that private religious exercise that it's actually entangling itself with religion or facilitating religion. And so the Supreme Court over the years, uh, over really a hundred year period, has been trying to figure out what that balance looks like between respecting religious liberty of private parties on the one hand and keeping the state out of the religion business on the other. And what we're seeing this new trend with this court is much greater emphasis given to religious liberty on the one hand and much less emphasis or protection given to the separation of church and state, such that protecting religious liberty is actually swallowing entirely, eating up entirely, what I think is the proper and careful balance of the state keeping out of um, facilitating or entangling itself in religious practices. Only Justices Sonia Sotomayor and Ruth Bader Ginsburg dissented in the Missouri playground case. Is that surprising that they were the only dissents? Well, it is. It, I think it is surprising because if a state bends over too far backwards to protect the religious liberty of some citizens, which I think is the case in that Trinity Lutheran playground case, or may end up being the case in the Montana situation, the religious liberty of other people, say religious minorities, may be at risk. And so for even for those justices who care deeply about religious liberty, such as Gorsuch, such as Alito, such as Kavanaugh and, and, and Chief Justice Roberts, um, if they really cared about protecting all religious liberty, they would be careful not to expand the rights of evangelical Christians too far because then you have the state facilitating the religious practices of some at the risk of inhibiting the religious practices of others. So Justice Elena Kagan had voted to strike down that Missouri program we were talking about. But did it seem in these arguments that she might not go that way with this case? I think it's hard to say. Um, It's hard to say. You know, the comments that the justices make during uh, oral argument are not often a good indication of how they're going to vote. So I wouldn't read too much into those tea leaves based on the arguments. So is this a case where Justice Roberts will be the swing vote, or is this a case that's going to line up in different ways? Well, I learned early on to be careful not to predict how the Supreme Court's going to rule. But if the Trinity Lutheran and Masterpiece Cake Shop cases, the, the last two really 
large religious liberty cases that the Supreme Court has decided, if there are any indication, we may have a fairly lopsided ruling here on behalf of the faith-based students who want to get tuition credits from the state of Montana. Is there a conservative movement across the country looking to pave the way for more opinions about religious liberty? Well, I think what we're seeing happening with the kinds of claims that are made by faith-based individuals and organizations across a range of contexts is the use of religious liberty as a way to undo what are forms of secular lawmaking, whether it's around gay rights, whether it's about contraception or abortion and reproductive liberty more generally. You know, these hot-button issues where we have a state or the federal government, perhaps in the form of the Affordable Care Act and in other laws, passing laws that some religious conservatives don't agree with, rather than going through the normal legislative process where you say, well, let's elect different people who are more in keeping with my views. Instead, they say, well, then those laws don't apply to me. And it's a very anti-democratic way to approach what is an effort of democratic lawmaking in pluralistic societies. Normally, your response when a law is passed that you don't agree with, it's not to say that law doesn't, doesn't apply to me, but we need a different law. Let's go through the regular legislative process and change the law. So I fear what's happening in across these contexts, whether it's gay rights, same-sex marriage rights, contraception, the power of private religious schools, is that this is an end run around state legislatures in ways that I think in the long run will undermine democratic values. There were dozens of amicus briefs here from a whole range of organizations and people. Does it show how important this issue is? Because the numbers seem to reflect the kinds of amicus briefs you see in abortion rights cases and gun rights cases, immigration cases. Well, I think the people working on this issue and the people who filed amicus briefs are connecting the dots. They see this is not only about private religious school funding. But it's also about the ways in which religious liberty rights have been used across a range of other contexts. And so what's at stake here is certainly important for these kids and their parents who want to have funding for their um, religious education. But what the Supreme Court does in this case will certainly have implications for faith-based efforts to undermine or opt out of same-sex marriage, gay rights more generally, trans rights, reproductive rights uh, in a range of contexts. So this is not a narrow set of questions that the court's having to answer in this case. They're quite broad, and that's why you see so many groups weighing in, trying to push the court in particular directions that will implicate these other um, places where religion is so important. Finally, about 18, 20 other states have tax credit programs resembling what Montana had. Will the Supreme Court decision in this case necessarily affect those other states, or might the court write this narrowly enough that it won't? The court could write an opinion that specifically addresses the details of the Montana tax credit system, in which case we'll have to litigate in all those other states to see whether they're similar enough to Montana or different enough from Montana that the ruling in this case won't apply. So um, what we are seeing the court do in a number of these religious cases religious liberty cases and other kind of hot-button social uh, justice issues is write pretty narrow opinions so that there isn't a really radical overhaul of of something like the state funding system for public and private education as we see in Montana. 
Thanks for being on Bloomberg Law, Catherine. That's Professor Catherine Frankie of Columbia Law School.